Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. Welcome to Missing in Canada, an ongoing series by the Nighttime Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Missing in Canada, an ongoing series by the Nighttime Podcast that explores the stories and circumstances of Canadian missing person cases. In this episode, we're going to discuss one of the darkest events to ever play out in the province of Newfoundland. Our story takes us back to November of 1996. Three brothers spend the day with their non-custodial father at his home in Torbay. An hour before the boys were scheduled to be returned to their mother, she received a phone call from her estranged husband telling her that he was not going to return the boys and that he had rigged his house to explode if anyone were to enter it. Now, despite the passage of over 25 years, the father, Gary O'Brien, and the three O'Brien boys haven't been seen since. So let's get to it. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, Ashley Drake and I will present and discuss the abduction of the O'Brien boys. Ashley, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. It's it's March break here in Halifax, so lots more time to stretch out and enjoy uh, life and family. How have you been passing the time? I know, I, I'm sure your uh, your schedule has changed a little bit with this. Yeah, I took vacation Monday to Thursday, and I just spent some time with my daughter. We just did some stuff. We went to Pure and Simple like two or three times to get breakfast. Oh, that's a new, uh, like a new restaurant that opened. Yeah, they have Good. smoothie balls, so we went there. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, today I went to, there's like a bowling alley near my house that has a big arcade in it. And it's oh. kind of like one of like Halifax's lesser known big arcades. So my son yeah. and I went there and we... Um, so that kind of the kind of arcade where you like the games get you points and then you can cash in the points for a prize. Yeah. Uh, love oh yeah, but we like were super lucky. We ended up hitting like the jackpot, whatever, in games like three times. So we ended up yeah. getting enough um, points to buy uh, this like a bobblehead that goes on top of my car dash. That's a glow in the dark zombie. So as you drive, he's kind of like shuffling around all weird. Um, so, so that so I guess that's the highlight of my month and week so far. But yeah, uh, but yeah, good times. <laughs> great times. But we're here to talk about something um, much, much darker. And actually, we both just mentioned we have kids. So I guess especially darker. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know about you, but I find for me, like one thing that's really changed within me si since having like becoming a parent is any stories that concern kids they just like they kill me like if it's a horror movie let's say yeah. i've loved horror movies my whole life and i can watch the goriest most violent horror movie but the minute like a kid comes on screen or yeah. is involved in any way i'm like i'm like no i'm out yeah it's impossible to not put yourself in that situation and think like what if this was happening to me mm -hmm. and with this case i definitely feel the same way yeah and i've always um like felt personally, like I've always had this kind of invincibility kind of feeling for better or worse. So I didn't like as a younger man, I didn't take good care of myself because I felt nothing could yeah. hurt me. Like once you have kids, no matter how you feel about yourself uh, and your mortality and all in your health and all this stuff, it's like you with your kid comes this enormous weakness that 
that you have. It's like the like I know for me, like the one place I'm vulnerable, I feel vulnerable is like my my children. Like I don't care. Like I don't worry about yeah. my own well being. In fact, the only yeah. reason I worry about my own well being now is because of my kids. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because you're their protector. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I this story that we're going to get into it. Oh, it just hit me in the gut so many times. Um, I have two boys and this story really will be telling it from the point of a v the view of a mother who whose three boys were abducted. So I can kind of see some mirrors when I try to imagine the three O'Brien boys. I can kind of picture my own my own two boys who were you know similar age similar yeah. ages of them uh have i think when it when it was a, a listener who recommended the story a, a tracy from newfoundland wrote me and recommended this this topic um i when i looked at it i it was new to me i had no idea of the story of the o'brien boys when i pitched it to you you at least knew it some in some case did you in some way i was familiar with the situation the newfoundland part of it and the three boys like the children and the father um but i was not some of like the specifics i wasn't familiar with that was newer to me um mm -hmm. but yeah i was definitely i had heard of the case before yeah i i don't know how i didn't hear of it because it's and it only happened november of 1996 so it's it's yeah. Like oh, that was a while ago, yeah. but it's still you'd consider it a modern case and very little has been written about it. I We managed to yeah. in our dig and find just kind of like a couple articles. But from them, I was we were able to kind of find other places it was referencing. And I found a couple old newspaper clippings. And, you know, together, the story that emerges is like it's like a Netflix special or something, because there's so many kind of yeah. twists in yeah. in sensational elements to it. But ultimately it is just a horror story every parent's worst nightmare like i could I not say the exact same thing a worst yeah. nightmare yeah i couldn't imagine a worse scenario so no. to, to kind of set it up i guess first we'll start by describing the family uh, again we're talking about november of 1996 and at that point it was a family of four we have the mother diana who's 39 she's staying with her three boys Adam, who's 14, Trevor, who's 11, and Mitchell, who's four. She, so it's the mother and her four boys are staying outside of the family home. The The father, who Diana's estranged from, they're like separated at this point. His name is Gary O'Brien. He's 40 years old. And at the time of this story, the father, Gary, is living in the family home where the mother and the three boys are living outside of the home because of this separation I, I haven't been able to find anything that really told me the background of why they separated or what was going on but it seemed to be a pretty new thing because diana the mother she still wasn't like completely stable and like with her own apartment or her own house or something it seemed like she was staying with someone i don't yeah i haven't really figured much out did you come across anything that gave you background on their no. relationship prior to this no, I didn't. Um, mm. Just more so his uh, issues that he had, but they, it didn't really have to do with the two of them. Mm -hmm. And it didn't say how long ago it had happened. Yeah, but through, through yeah. Um, I, I did also learn some of the background on, on the father, Gary. Um, yeah. He seemed like he has some trouble and he seemed like that before the story we're going to get into. Uh, and maybe some of this is what led to the breakup or the separation. But uh, Gary was described as having a history of violence, psychiatric issues, uh, yeah. suicidal tendencies. Um, Diana, in interviews, referred to him as uh, 
manipulative, resourceful, and really introverted. So I'm kind of picturing Gary to be this like quiet and kind of like a a sneaky, snaky kind of guy. Uh, She, I've I've actually, I've seen more than one place where she described him as as resourceful and really kind of tricky. Um, And I think the reason maybe she's leaning on that character uh, aspect of uh, that aspect of his character is as the story goes on that becomes a kind of like a part of maybe his strategy or yeah or his plan and i think um in hearing kind of that description of someone you know violent uh suicidal depressed quiet sneaky like that just seems like the kind of dangerous person that it isn't until after something happens that you're like oh there were red flags yeah yeah, and I'm sure at the time that was not a happy marriage. That's not someone you want to be married with, and that's not someone that you want to be the father of your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would never expect that what yeah. is going to happen would happen. Yeah, and what, whatever was happening between them, um, Diana had custody. The, again, as, a, as I already mentioned, the boys were living with her, and it seemed like they had um, kind of like scheduled visits where the boys would go with the dad for, you know, a certain set period of time. And, you know, I I think anyone who's followed stories of breakups and custody and stuff like that's, that's not uncommon. Um, But getting to the day it actually happens um, is November 9th, 1996. Coincidentally, it's a day after Diana's 39th birthday. Uh, and that mm-hmm. kind of becomes possibly part of of the motive and the only reason I mention this. Uh, again, at this point, Diana and the boys were living away from Gary, who again, Gary was back at, at the fam- the prior family home living there. And it was on this day, uh, Gary was to have a visit with the children. They were to be dropped off at his house and spend a bit of time with him. Um, the, the youngest of the boys, Mitchell, who was four, he was sick at the time or it wasn't feeling good. Diana was actually considering keeping him home with her because of that. But Gary insisted that Mitchell come along as well uh, against her gut instinct. She ag- agreed and and, uh, and sent Mitchell along with her with his older brothers, Trevor and Adam, to visit the dad. Yeah. So they spend the day with with dad, as you would expect. And I guess the boys are supposed to be dropped off by Gary back where Diana's staying at around 930 in the evening um what happens instead is about an hour before the boys are scheduled to be dropped off diana gets a phone call at the place she's staying at um and this phone call is really the only kind of idea we have as to what may have been going on from gary's point of view do you i don't know if you have it in front of you do you want to kind of give some of some of the excerpts of what he says on this phone call Yeah, he says, I'm not bringing the boys home. You're going to know what it feels like to turn 40 without your kids. And the house is rigged to explode if anybody tampered with it. She asked to speak to the children and all he responded with was later and hung up. Yeah, so he he calls her and as you can imagine like this, uh, or at least as I imagine it, this is the short intense you know i'm not bringing them back you're gonna yeah. know what it feels like to turn 40 without your kids yeah. and That's such a threat oh such a threat. absolutely shock value i just yeah yeah and it's the day after her birthday yeah. she had just turned 39 
And I'm I'm kind of projecting here, but Gary, at the time that this happened, he was 40. So I can, I don't know, but I can only assume maybe on his 40th birthday, they were already separated and he wasn't with the boys. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as you just explained, there is a, when he says this to her, I'm not bringing the boys home. Um, the house is rigged to explode. And if anyone comes here, you know, it's, it's going to blow up. Uh, she challenges him on that. And I, I heard an interview with her where she says they had choice words, which I'm guessing is her screaming at him and whatnot. Yeah. She's wanting to talk to the boys and he just says later. And I, when you read kind of the, um, when, when you read that word, it could be later as in you'll talk to them later or later yeah. as in like later click. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm kind of leaning towards the latter. Yeah. Cause, cause that's like the last thing he says before he hangs up. Yeah. And he, you know, we come to find out he doesn't really have plans for the, her to talk to them later. So I'm thinking it was like later, like this conversation's done like later. Bye. Yeah. That's, that's how I take it. And so yeah. that conversation ends. Obviously she is in panic with that. Mm -hmm. Um, she falls to the floor. Diana falls to the floor, bawling, crying in a state of complete shock. Luckily, her, she was with her sister at the time yeah. of this phone call, her sister standing there with her. Um, and that leads me to think maybe Diana, the place she was staying at may have been her sister's. If so, that makes sense. But regardless, her, her sister was there with her. And when Diana manages to explain what is what Gary said on the phone call, the sister knows this is a problem and immediately calls the police. The yeah. police, um, Diana is able to explain to the police a little bit about what he said. Uh, and thankfully, like her doing that likely saved some lives of both law enforcement and even the neighbors because him saying my house is rigged to explode. Mm -hmm. Like, I think if I heard that, I would initially think it's a like kind of an empty threat, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can't really... One of the things that I learned when re looking into this story is you can't really predict how serious these situations are. I saw some stats for when a child in Nova, in Nova Scotia, in Canada, when a child's reported missing, I saw statistics as far as how often it's resolved. And it's it was something like 50% of them are resolved in the first day and like 95% of them are resolved within like four days or something. So yeah. it's statistically you would think things are going to be okay but in this yeah. case when the police show up at his house th since they had the warning that there is a bomb there they would proceed with caution with a bomb team or whatever and what they find at gary's house is not a simple bomb it's two 400 pound or 400 um yeah 400 pound propane tanks which are these aren't like the ones you would hook up to a barbecue and they're not even the ones that you would have. Like, um, if you heat your house with propane, you may have like a big propane tank on the side of your house. A 400 pound propane tank is the kind that you would see like next to Burger King with like a fence around it or something. Yeah. It's like a massive thing. He had two of them there and they were connected to the house in some way that if the door was opened or even if someone rang the doorbell, it would have been enough to blow these two propane tanks up, which were full. And that would have been a strong enough blast, not only to destroy his house, but to even destroy homes of the neighbors within, 
you know, uh, like a couple homes on either side and of course kill anybody that's on the property. So this is like a, a serious, serious situation that he has yeah. set, set out here. But luckily, um, luckily they knew that going in and were able to, um, disconnect the bombs and, you know, prevent any kind of explosion. But at this point, this call mixed with the insistence that the youngest boy come along the bombs like it's like in my mind it's obvious this was something he was planning for some time i can only imagine he was stewing on the fact that he doesn't have custody of the kids and yeah. in my, and this is his way of getting back at her yeah and it seems like he was the aggressor in the situation because they actually left the family home you know normally if it's just a regular situation the mother and the kids would stay in the family home and the father would leave but this was reversed and he stayed there so that's yeah. also a red flag. Oh yeah, who would do that? I'm just trying. Like I, I can't. No matter what the situation is, it's yeah. like the kids and the custodial parent should stay in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they were trying to escape him. They were getting away from him. That it. That only seems to be like, cause it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it, it. No matter what the situation is, it takes a real prick to be for the to be like, no, I'm staying back. You take the kids. Yeah. And yeah. I'm gonna sit here with the three bedroom house. Yeah. And you'll, yeah. So, um, who, we don't, of course, like we, we haven't found any articles or anything that explains no. why that was the case, but on its yeah. surface, like I, I can't imagine why that's the way that that worked out, but regardless, yeah. he's, he's obviously a psycho, um, yeah. for him to, to do this. But anyways, um, so at this point, the, the bomb is not exploded. Gary and the boys are missing. Uh, very little about the search or the investigation like uh, has been revealed. So things like what was left in the house, what was disturbed. I haven't been able to learn anything about that. And that may be because it's still an open investigation, but enough has come out to really paint a, a, a scary and tragic picture. Yeah. For one is what we know is that there has been no... Like initially at the time that it happened back in 96, there was initially no trail and, and no leads. Nobody had known what happened to, to Gary. He was gone with the boys to the point that Diana moved back into the house. Not long after the abduction uh, and, and his disappearance with the kids, um, she moved back in the house uh, with the idea that if the boys were to return, that's where they would look. They would go home yeah. to the house so it would make sense she'd live there but man that must have been an odd feeling moving back into the home the boys bedroom like she lived in the yeah. home months later with the boys bedroom still full of their stuff i'm sure mm -hmm. gary's stuff was still so, hanging around yeah so isolating and quiet you know i mean i have two kids i can't imagine three boys it would yeah. have been such you know the total opposite of what you would be your normal and then also just the idea of like the panic and the terror, not knowing where he was with your kids. Um, well, yeah. we do we do know for a fact his vehicle was missing. It was a 1989 Ford Tempo, which is a yeah. really really crappy car. Um, yeah. uh, being a Cape Retner, like uh, things that uh, last a bit longer <laughs> there. But I, I found I remember like back in the 90s, like a lot of my. Uh, late 90s 2000s a lot of my friends um would would be allowed to drive like their parents old ford tempos or reliant yeah. k cars i don't know if you remember them i yeah. have a few friends actually i had a friend who had uh 
they called it like a car truck where it looked like a car, but instead of a trunk, it was like the back of a truck. I don't oh know if you're right. <laughs> um, I had a couple of friends with tempos too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So awful cars, but that's what Gary was, was gone with, with the boys and she was living there. Now the first lead, and this is one we'll talk about a bit uh, and it, cause it, it kind of plays into, I think the, the most, likely outcome i think for a lot of people um about a year after the abduction again with no sign or trail of gary or, or the boys anywhere pieces of his vehicle was found um in the ocean on the shore near a cliff about 10 kilometers from where the boys were last seen uh this area um i don't know newfoundland well i, I believe it's yeah it's uh redhead cliff near a community called Flat Rock. It's about 10 kilometers from, from the home, as I said. And it wasn't like the full vehicle. What was found was portions of the engine, like the, the engine and the, the stuff that kind of connects to the engine was found yeah. in the water. And when I say his vehicle, I don't mean like a 1989 Ford Tempo, like the engine serial number was still there and it was linked yeah. to his car. So yeah. um, the engine of the vehicle he left in was found at the bottom of a cliff, which would, I think anyone would be like, okay, he took the, you know, the boys in the vehicle and drove off the cliff. Um, yeah. And that's, I think that's probably where the investigator and what the investigators suspected as well. But the, the rest of the car wasn't found. There was no bodies or remains found. And yeah. again, talking about the fact that Diana has re referred to him, him as like manipulative and strategic and resourceful. She believed from like as soon as she, according to her statements, as soon as she heard that the engine was found, she felt it was something he did intentionally to distract or, or like to obscure his trail, like to lead yeah. people to think that it happened, which that would yeah. be a pretty I'll extreme to length to go. Yeah, I kind of have to agree, though, because why would it be just the engine? I don't understand that. But yeah, well, the more. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, of course, the engine is like big and heavy mm -hmm. and stuff. But the rest of the car is also big and heavy. And we're only yeah. talking about. Where's it gonna a, go? yeah, yeah, we're only talking about a year later. So it's not like the yeah. rest of it's like rusted away. Like it should yeah. all be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, you would think. I don't know what like the tides and stuff are like there. But still, it's like it's a car. It should have just sunk and yeah um yeah so that's i i don't know and it's to say like it would be crazy to take the engine out and and throw it in there but at the same time it's like this guy also rigged up his house with explosives so he's yeah he clearly is crazy so mm -hmm. yeah um yeah so this idea of um you know him using it as a strategy kind of plays into something that diana to this day, like just like when, when these kind of stories happen, there'll be kind of follow up articles written, you know, on the five year, 20 year anniversary. Mm -hmm. She, according to statements she's made on every article I've read about uh, about this case that uh, had interviewed her, uh, she maintains hope that the boys are alive somewhere. Um, and she has several kind of theories uh again she talks about the idea that she believes that the the engine was something that he did to distract or to obscure his trail but what has she talks about is this idea of him living somewhere off the grid um somewhere without a lot of technology she's also talked about the possibility that he would join 
like a religious community. And I don't know what would lead her to say that other than the fact that there are isolated religious communities. Yeah. Uh, but and she also talked about or, or mentions how manipulative he is and his ability, the ability he would have to brainwash the boys into not wanting to go back with their mother. For example, saying something like, you know, if you call the police or if you call her, you know, I'm going to be arrested. And she's and she has said, you know, if if he did that to the boys, it maybe would be enough to prevent them from speaking out. Yeah. But yeah. I don't, but a lot of times pass. We're talking 96. We're talking 25 plus years. Yeah. Like they wouldn't have access to as much as we would have. I and mean, you would just text your mom and say or, you know, you would go to like someone's house and use the Internet. But in the, at that time, it would have been more difficult to make contact. But why not now or, as adults? But, like she's. um Yeah. And it's like. Uh, the four-year-old's a different story. He, um, his name was is Mitchell. Uh, the four-year-old yeah. likely wouldn't remember, you know, where right. he lived or the name of his town or something yeah. if if the dad took him far enough away. But the oldest yeah. boy, Adam, is fourteen. So I think he would, maybe yeah. at the time, you, Gary could have scared him into not calling because of the police or, or you know, tricked him into thinking that his mom was evil or something. But or, you know. That or she passed away or something and he they just kind of drilled that into like his head the whole yeah. time like he might not even know that she's alive and looking for him yeah but you'd think like 10 years later like he knows his yeah. name and where he's from um yeah it would yeah. only take a google search and like we found out a lot like if, if it was yeah and so it's hard i find myself it's hard to imagine a situation that these boys are out there and haven't come home and you know this whole thing with the engine like i can picture him choose it him being gary choosing that way to end it here's the other thing so he just dis they disappear they're abducted i say disappear they're abducted november of uh of 96 a year later the engines found the only other significant tip or lead or detail that comes out is a year after that. So around 1998, um, a woman calls police in, um, oh, what city was this in? Um, in Thunder Ontario, Bay. oh yes. Uh, a, a woman calls the Thunder Bay police and gives an anonymous tip saying, I saw the photos of the boys that are being, you know, that people are looking for in Newfoundland and I know them. I babysat for the dad, Gary. I babysat for Gary. Um, he's he, he him and the boys are here in, in Thunder Bay. And during this anonymous tip, she gave what is described as intimate family details, which it could have meant a lot of things. But what we've learned since is that what she actually said is she gave the nicknames of one of the boys correctly. And it was something that they didn't release to the public like in law enforcement didn't release this so it was something only someone close to them would know and and this was enough to really kind of stimulate a search for this anonymous tipster which they haven't been able to find like i i'm guessing yeah. it wasn't a phone call it was probably like a voice memo or a voice message or something where she gave this information but they even did a call out um in Thunder Bay area, like trying, like the police trying to find who this woman was so they could, you know, ask her more questions and get on the trail. They've never been able to find her. So it's ended completely like another dead end. Yeah. And like, it could have been a coincidence that she knew the nickname. Like if she, if she was going to call with that information, you would think she would stay and provide more information or, you know, tell their whereabouts, but yeah. It's or kind of, 
it's kind of like a yeah it's a dead end yeah or if like if she was following the case enough like it if that yeah. happened to you if you saw on the news that the boys you've been babysitting were abducted and their mom is looking for them you wouldn't just call in the tip and be done with it you would continue to follow the story exactly. i can understand yeah. wanting to stay anonymous but uh you would follow it to the point that when in your local news they're now calling out for the woman who babysat with left this tip yeah that would yeah. get back to her but i wish i knew what the nickname she gave for the boys is is it something super common like that's what uh, i was wondering as well yeah but and and i've also seen it said that um i've seen it written that she knew the the nickname of one of the boys and then i saw somewhere else said she knew the nicknames of the boys so oh, okay. that that's also a difference like did she get yeah. lucky because i'm sure yeah. this case um it was featured on uh, america's most wanted um mm -hmm. So that would, uh, and, and also the Montel Williams show, which uh, was a big thing back yeah. in the day. But um, yeah. that would be enough of uh, of um, profile that I'm sure they get lot. They got lots of tips that didn't go anywhere. And is it yeah. that one random tipster managed to get a nickname right, or did the random tipster get all three nicknames right? Because that would be, you know, a complete. That would make a difference. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. but um, aside from the engine being found, this idea that uh, uh, this anonymous tipster maybe babysat them two years later in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Those are really the only leads that have come in 25 plus years. And yeah. that is um, despite the mother uh, Diana's uh, nonstop belief mm -hmm. that her boys are out there. Yeah. Um, her her continued searching media coverage again both America's Most Wanted which was a really big show and a big platform a to share show. a missing persons yeah. case yeah it wouldn't shock me if someone did come forward with information that they guessed or you know investigated yeah. on their own I mean how hard would it really be to find out their nicknames if you contacted someone from the family right I don't know but yeah but if it, it it's still it's just that must eat away at diana to this day like who is this yeah. woman um yeah. but she uh the most recent article i saw was one where she was interviewed i think on the 20th anniversary and again she still at that point maintains hope and she um oh it's actually pretty heartbreaking i there's an a letter that she wrote to her boys i think on the 20th anniversary where yeah. again, it's it's like an open letter written directly to the boys, uh, yeah. addressing the situation. If if you have it there, yeah. um, you can read it because that I think this gives a good insight as, as to her um, mind yeah. frame at that point. Yeah, it was twenty one years ago. Okay, so Adam. Or, or sorry, it, sorry, yeah. it, it was uh, it was written on the twenty first anniversary. Yeah, which which yeah. would have been. Uh, yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, <laughs> that twenty seventeen. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Adam, Trevor, and Mitchell, 21 years ago, Saturday, November 9th, 1996, our lives together as mommy and sons was torn apart. We never knew that those last few hours together would end up being our lasting memories of each other. Hustle and bustle as usual on a Saturday morning, Adam and Trevor delivering the morning papers to our neighbors. I recall that morning as if it were the morning, as it were this morning. Trevor, you were excited to wear your new Chicago Bulls jacket to show your dad and your friends that day. Adam, you were planning to buy me a birthday card, and you, little Mitch, were not feeling well. Mitch, I didn't want you to go with your dad that day, but your father insisted I have you ready when he arrived. 
I regret not following my motherly instincts. I am so sorry, doll. Boys, no matter what has been told to you, please know that not a day goes by when I won't be thinking of you. Not a day ends without me sending up heartfelt prayers for you. Not a moment have I lost hope that we will find each other. With the powerful strength of our love, we will survive this dark period of our lives. We are also incomplete and empty inside from this separation. Being together will heal us, complete us. Be strong, my angels, and know that your mom loves you with her whole heart. And I will until I will I will until I take my last breath. I need you and you guys need me. Life is short and we never know when our time will come to leave here forever. Please let me know you are okay. Forever in my heart, mom. Oh. That's yeah. heavy, eh? Uh, that's hard to get through. Like just as a mother, it's it's ugh. Yeah, because it, again, it's like it, it gives you a sense of um, she's been going through all this time, almost like waiting for the day they come home. And when she, one of the things she says in that in the letter is like, um, this dark part of our lives will be behind us. Mm-hmm. But this has been going like she wrote that twenty one years into this dark yeah, period. That has been her the majority of her lives with her children has been this dark period. Yeah. Um, there's another article I read too that it it had a lot of the same kind of language that she was using to talk about Mm -hmm. the boys, but it's, um, it was one written on the 20th anniversary. So like a year before she wrote that open letter and what had happened was, um, the, it's called the national center for missing and exploited youth. Um, they're like a Canadian group that advocates for missing and exploited children but one of the things they do a lot is they'll take uh, they do age progression photos so they'll have like a photo of yeah. and they did it in this case they have photos of the three boys as they were when they disappeared at like 14 mm-hmm. 11 and 4 but then they did um age progressive progressive drawing so like or like photos kind of made up to show what they would look like 20 years later as like a you know 24 or 34 31 and 24 and yeah. um they inter when that had happened they interviewed diana about the photos coming out and she went into this um like long explanation as far as like talking about how she imagines their personalities and it was just it was heartbreaking because she was describing like this is what they're like when they're 14 so i'm sure this is what they're like now and she talked about you know one of the boys being really outgrowing and she's like he probably loves to party and women you know the girls love him and and it's like i can it broke my heart because i was thinking of my kids who have their little personalities formed now and mm-hmm. the idea of like trying to imagine what they're like when they're adults, I do that all the time, but yeah. to not have seen them for 20 years and to try to imagine what they're like now somewhere else, I, d- yeah. I don't know. There's something, it's hard to put it in words, but something about reading that article just like crushed me. And yeah, I, I, I feel horrible for her. And it's like we said off the top, it's absolutely a parent's worst nightmare. Yeah. And it's, and it's in this case, it's so horrific um like the, with this phone call with the bomb with the engine being found and the tips and the media coverage yeah and really the only explanations and like the only kind of possible outcomes th- there's really two one is he abducted them and has them somewhere and managed to brainwash them to the point that they can't 
you know, won't come home. And the yeah. other is that he drove off a cliff with them. And for so, like, yeah. you know, minutes later, and for some reason, the only thing they managed to found was, was the engine. And yeah, yeah, she's um just kind of yeah. stuck in, in limbo. Uh, one other thing I read too, that uh, kind of made me tear up. And I don't know what it was, but the, the um, something about the imagery of this, but I saw an interview done with her about a year after the boys went missing and it was from a local newspaper uh, in, in, in Newfoundland. Um, and it was, the reporter was at the home interviewing her. And again, at this point she was living back at the family home and she, and that is where she gave the explanation. Like I, I want to be here. Cause if the boys come back, like this is where they're going to be looking. So I want to be in the house, but the the journalist made a mention of the fact that as she was talking and doing the interview she was petting a cat diana the mother was petting a cat that she adopted shortly after the abduction and she named the cat hope and she was like yeah. kind of using the cat as like a i don't know like what yeah. you call it, but almost like a therapy thing and to name it hope yeah. and to be and for her to be sitting there kind of talking about this horrific thing to the journalist while petting the cat hope i uh, i don't know there's something about that that there's imagery there yeah. that's effective well as a, as a parent you just never would give up hope right you would do exactly what she's doing you would want there to be you know resolution at some point and you would just obviously you would want them to walk through the door someday which is mm -hmm. what she's hoping for yeah. yeah um do you with this much time having passed and there not being an answer think there, there's ever going to be a development in this with given the amount of time that's passed i don't think i think with technology today if there was going to be some kind of contact i think it would have been done i mean you can only get i don't know you brainwashed to a certain point but i mean if i would if there was one child and you know it's like an adult now but for three of them to not question this life that they're living mm -hmm. um and reach out or, you know, someone else mention it to you. Like they would have been going to school at some point, I assume. Mm -hmm. um, I just can't see them not finding some information to make them question their lives. Yeah. And then I also think about um, how difficult it would actually be to go off the grid in this modern day and age. Yeah. Yeah. Things like um, if they, so if it's, if it's Gary, plus the three boys for one Gary at this point, he's nearing 70. I was um, just going to ask, what he, so he's getting up there too, right? So at yeah, some so point, he, yeah. He, so he was 40 when he, when he took them. So he's, yeah. you know, 65 ish now. Um, yeah. So yeah, I said nearing 70 mid sixties, yeah. but yeah. at, but if it's him at that age, plus the three boys at this point, there would have been like some kind of serious, medical thing that would have led to them needing to show like a health card or something yeah. Yeah. um or or one of the three boys let's say they joined like this religious community that is super isolated and like almost like cult-like or something yeah. you'd think one of them would have left by now because they're like adults of they would course. have been yeah. married off and stuff and i like again yeah. like if it was if it was just the four-year-old let's say who uh mitchell who gary took yeah, I think he would it would have been easier to mold and change the way he looks at his past. But to also have the 11 and the 14 year old, they would both have such firm memories. Mm -hmm. And and we didn't even get into the fact that these boys, all three of them were said to be like serious mother's boys, like mama's boys. And yeah. she she said herself, Diana, in an interview, she said, like, I'm 
you know, beside myself, there's days, many days I can't even get out of bed. You know, I, I like, I'm completely, my heart is literally broken. She even says like, I felt it break that day. Um, but she says, if I'm having this hard of a time, I can't imagine how they feel because again, yeah. So if he has, you know, all these bad things about him, right. And he's clearly like psychotic and a psychopath. He couldn't have just spent the last 25 years being a good dad. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it wouldn't have happened. Or or not making a mistake. Like how hard, like yeah. uh, just the odds of one of the four of them not needing like serious medical attention to the point that yeah. they get found out or, or leaving and getting a job and getting married or whatever and yeah. uh, tracing their roots or doing a genealogy test or something. Um, yeah. If not yeah. for that what are the chances that one of them didn't make a mistake and like, you know, get arrested for some weird thing or yeah. yeah I don't know. There's a mil. I don't know. I just find it really hard to believe that they're out there living a separate life under assumed identities that said, and, and like, this is with missing persons cases. That's often a theory that, you know, they're homeless in another city or living with a religious group or, you know, off the grid in the middle of the woods somewhere. That's often a theory because, well, for one, people want to hold out hope, and it's and it's really hard to prove that kind of theory wrong. Yeah. But it doesn't happen often at all. Although there are time, like there are cases you can point to where people have done that, and you know, thirty years later have been found. But that's yeah. so so rare. And, and that's normally one person, not four people. Yeah, absolutely. And again, and if it is for people, keep in mind that one of them in this case is a violent psychopath with suicidal yeah. ideation, yeah. Uh, seemingly an, an anger control problem, an anger management problem, a manipulative kind of asshole. Um, yeah. I think uh, if if I had the resources, the first thing I would want to do is have... Um, professional divers search the area around the cliff mm-hmm. for um, any signs of the yeah. 1989 Fort Temple, because it's, again, even now it's only been 26 ish years. Um, there would, there should yeah. still be more than just that engine. Yeah. I, I'm assuming they like when they found the engine though, I'm sure they searched more, but if they didn't find it then, I don't know. I just, I feel yeah, I'm like. I'm hung up on just the engine. I can't understand how that would have came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. that's where, that's where my mind goes is like, they need to yeah. search that. But regardless, I think. I'm sure this... they did. But yeah. We just couldn't find the information, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think in the end, what this is, is a really tragic story of a parental abduction uh, where it seems to just be simply fueled by spite and anger and like this is yeah. like a Him typical using, using the children to get back at her for you know his Which, problem his own problems yeah um evil i would say yeah. evil and just awful he should have um if he did what i kind of suspect he should have just left the boys with his mom that day and drove off the cliff and saved everybody yeah 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 um all right, well, let's let's wrap it up with that. But it's a, uh, yeah, this has been a hard one. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you for joining Ashley and I for a discussion surrounding the abduction of the O'Brien boys. 
For those listening who want to learn more about this case, I suggest you join and participate in the Facebook group moderated by their mother, Diana. I've added a link to the group in this episode's description. And with that, I'm going to wrap things up, but before we part, I want to give some thanks. First, a big thanks to Ashley for sharing an evening with me and with the listeners of Nighttime. I'd also like to thank Monty Data for contributing the music for this episode. It's a piece called Noir Tokyo. And lastly, but most importantly, I want to give a massive thank you to everyone who listens to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, the show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. But with that said, keeping the show alive is and has always been an uphill battle. So if you want to help take a bit of weight off the show's back, make sure you're listening on the premium feed. And not only does it make the show possible, the premium feed will give you more of each topic than you find here on the free feed, as I'm adding exclusive content regularly. So for both the price of a cup of coffee, subscribe to the premium feed at patreon.com slash nighttimepodcast. And with that said, let me thank the newest subscribers. Dallas, Kim, and Amanda, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't do it financially, you can give me a big hand by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If you have any story ideas, want to give feedback on the show, or would like to contribute a voice memo for a future episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com slash contact. You can also find me on social media. I use Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, I'm often live on the Nighttime Podcast YouTube channel. So until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.